Hello, Brian Zond here. Thank you for tuning in to the sermon podcast. We'll get to the message in just a moment, but I want to let you know that we have an online prayer school coming up at the first of the year. You know, the primary purpose of prayer is not to get God to do what we think God ought to do, but to be properly formed. That's what prayer school is all about. And so January 8, 9, and 10, I'm doing two online prayer schools. One is at 1 p.m. Central Time, and then there's another one, 7 p.m. Central Time. So whatever, you know, works for you, you can pick which one you want to be a part of. And you can get registered for this online prayer school by going to wolc.com slash prayer school. You can register for a donation of any amount. So prayer school coming up January 8, 9, and 10. Get registered. In keeping with the gospel we've heard and a, and a song that we were singing, I want to preach on the sword-pierced soul of Mary. Jesus, as you know, was born in Bethlehem. Bethlehem is just a few miles south of Jerusalem. At the time when Jesus was born, there lived in Jerusalem an old man by the name of Simeon. And Simeon was righteous and devout. He wasn't a a hypocrite like the Pharisees. He wasn't corrupt like the Sadducees. He was a righteous dude. He was devout. He was a man of prayer. He he lived at a time when Jerusalem was filled with economic injustice, political oppression, and religious corruption. But he did not let that make him cynical. Oh, it's very easy when you see injustice and oppression and corruption all around you to become very cynical about that. And you think that's all there is in the world. This did not happen to Simeon. Simeon did not become cynical. Simeon maintained what Nick Cave calls the warrior emotion of hope. He hoped. He he had something to look forward to. That's, that's, what, that's what hope is about. It's about, well, this may be what it is now, but there's something yet to come. And so he was looking forward to the consolation of Israel, as he called it. The consolation of Israel. This, this is a term for Messiah. God's solution, God's intervention into the problem. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit, for he was a man upon whom the Spirit of God rested. It had been revealed unto him, Simeon, that he would not see death before he'd seen the salvation of the Lord. This had been revealed to him. I'm an old man, but I won't die yet because I have a promise from God that 
Before I see death, I will see the salvation of the Lord. Now, Jesus has been born in Bethlehem. Simeon knows nothing of this. And then at the appointed time, Mary and Joseph take this newborn baby, Jesus, to the temple in Jerusalem to be dedicated according to the law of Moses. He's a firstborn, firstborn male. He's presented to the Lord a sacrifice of two pigeons or two turtle doves is offered according to the law of Moses. And that's when the spirit of the Lord spoke to Simeon and said, Simeon, get to the temple right now. What's, there's something you need to see. Get to the temple right now. So that old man hobbles off to the temple. He enters the temple as he's done so many times before and he sees this young couple. There's a woman, she has a, an infant. They're there to dedicate this firstborn male according to the law of Moses and the spirit of God spoke to Simeon and said, right there, that's the one. That's the one. You are now seeing salvation. And Simeon comes up to this, this young woman and he gently takes this baby in his arms. And he says, Lord, you now let your servant depart in peace for my eyes have seen the salvation of the world. A light to the nations and the salvation of your people Israel. Lord, you are now letting your servant depart in peace. My eyes have seen the Savior. He hands the baby back to this young woman. And then he blesses this couple. He lays his hands on Mary. He lays his hand on Joseph. And he begins to bless them. This venerable man of God. He blesses them. And then the Holy Spirit comes on him as the spirit of prophecy. And Simeon begins to prophesy and he says, oh, this child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel. This child shall be a sign that shall be spoken against. But he shall reveal the inner thoughts of many people. And then he turns to Mary and says, and a sword shall pierce your own soul. A sword shall pierce your own soul. That's what I want to preach on. I want to preach on the sword pierced soul of Mary. I'm preaching on Mary today. The sword pierced the sword pierced soul of Mary. Now, I am by default, a Protestant. I'm not protesting anything. I just am. It's where I landed. It's where I began. I be, I'm not Roman Catholic. I'm not Eastern Orthodox. So that leaves the vast and fragmented world of Protestantism that I inhabit. Though, as I say, I'm not protesting anything. What I am is I am truly ecumenical. 
That is, I sincerely, genuinely love the whole church. I really do. I love the church in its many expressions. And I think the church in its many expressions in its best forms, they are custodians of various treasures and I respect them all. Uh, I mean, I, I can be. I understand each expression also has its own limitations and faults. I get that too. I mean, I'll be honest with you. I'm going to preach on Mary, but I mean, I've, it's not like I'm untraveled. Especially when Perry and I are in Portugal. And we love Portugal very much. We talk about it all the time. It's, a, it's, our, it's our fantasy expat destination. Don't worry, we're not going. But just, you know, in our fantasy, oh, we live in Portugal. Of course, in our, in our fantasy, we can actually speak Portuguese, which is not actually the case. But when we're in Portugal, we visit these churches all the time. We're just always going to church. We're just, we're just a sucker to visit churches in the old world. And you go in a lot of these Baroque era churches in Portugal and Perry and I play this little game. It's called Find Jesus. <laughs> you can find Mary right off the bat. There, 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 there. I, know, I know he's got to be here somewhere. I know, Jesus, I know he's here somewhere. So I, I'm acknowledging that reality that, uh, that sometimes in parts of Portugal especially, uh, quite honestly, Jesus seems to uh, come in a distant second to the veneration accorded to Mary. And I think that that's problematic. But that's not, that's not who I need to talk to. That's not you. That, isn't, that does not fall within my purview. That isn't what I need to address. Because the virtual absence of Mary in Protestant theology is probably as problematic as I sometimes overemphasis on Mary in certain forms of Catholicism. And so today we're talking about the Theotokos. You may have heard that word. It's a Greek word, but it's a Greek word that's used in theology and in English. In English. Um, in Christian theology, Mary bears the title Theotokos, translated mother of God. It literally means God-bearer. Theotokos literally means God-bearer, but it's, the, the concept is mother of God, and that's how it's... That's how it's generally translated in English, that Mary is the mother of God. Now, I know, I know, I know. I'm going to help you here. A lot of people say, yeah, that seems like a, that seems a bit lofty, you know, mother of God. Well, obviously, Mary is not the matrix of the Trinity. We get that. That's true enough. But as God became human in Christ Mary truly becomes the mother of God. God in Christ has a mother, a human mother. Her name is Mary. Now, that I will do just a, just, just, just a tad bit of theology. You know I am prone to give you a little theology now and then because I want word of lifers to be not dumb. Uh, th this issue was settled in 431 at the Council of Ephesus. Uh, there were those, the Nestorians, who... who uh, kind of heretics, wanted to say, well, you know, we're not going to call Mary the mother of God. We'll call her the mother of Jesus. But what lurked behind that was a heresy. And that was, well, Jesus is human and God in two persons. 
There's the human person, Jesus, and the divine person, Jesus, and Mary is only the mother of the human person, Jesus, and the church says, no, 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 that's, that's, no, Jesus is fully God and fully human, two natures, one person, and that's what, that, that, that's orthodoxy, that's the truth. Um, the impulse there in the fifth century to accord to Mary the title Theotokos was not, the motivation wasn't to exalt Mary, it was to have a high Christology. That Jesus is fully God. And so that's where, that's where that comes from, the Theotokos. It's necessary for a high Christology. Now if you visit Orthodox churches, you'll often see um, this image of the Theotokos with those words that's usually in Greek, but you know, I found one that's in English, so you can see that, uh, that says, if you can't read that, it says, more spacious than heaven. More, and then when I first time I saw that, I thought, well, I don't know what that, what, is, what does that mean? That's, what is that? More, more spacious than heaven. Well, it's actually a reference to the womb of Mary. What do we mean? Well, what we mean is the one who is the word, the logos, who is the creator of the cosmos. A cosmos that today we know contains at least, at least a hundred billion galaxy. Jeb, James Webb's probably going to tell us we, we've got more. But we know there's at least a hundred billion galaxies out there containing 200 billion trillion stars. That one, the creator of 100 billion galaxies with 200 billion trillion stars became a fetus in the uterus of a virgin. A thousand years before Christ, when King Solomon was dedicating the temple, you know, he, he, he could have got all proud, you know, of building this temple for the Lord, the dwelling place of the Lord. But King Solomon has a moment of Holy Spirit-inspired sanity and humility. And in his dedicatory prayer, Solomon prays this. Will God indeed dwell on earth? Behold heaven and the heaven of heavens cannot contain you. So, so he's built, he's built this, this fabulous temple, the temple of Solomon there in Jerusalem. But at the dedication, he says, wait a minute, wait a minute. Will God indeed dwell on earth? I mean, oh God, even the heaven and the heaven of the heavens cannot contain you. And yet God did come to dwell on the earth and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And the word dwelling among us began by taking up residence in the womb of Mary. So in a poetic sense, a theopoetic sense, the womb of Mary is more spacious than the heavens. Because that womb contained very God, a very God, the creator of the cosmos. 
What Solomon's temple could not do, the Virgin Mary did. Well, the more we meditate on this mystery, the more profound it becomes. This, This mystery draws us not only to the Logos who became flesh, but also to the Virgin who gave flesh to the Logos. And it was to this young woman that the prophet Simeon said, a sword will pierce your soul. Now we might wonder, because I've been emphasizing wonder during Advent and Christmas, we might wonder um, what Mary made of such a dark portent. Simeon is blessing them. He's speaking of Jesus as the light of salvation. By the way, when Simeon saw Jesus, he saw salvation. Because salvation is not a plan. Salvation is a person. You could have asked him, do you know the plan of salvation? Simeon said, what? Simeon, do you know that God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life? Yeah, probably, but... No, Simeon doesn't know anything about a plan of salvation. He just knows, my eyes have seen the Savior whom you have prepared for all the world to see, a light to enlighten the nations and the glory of your people Israel. It's right there. It's that baby. When it comes to salvation, it's not what you know, it's who you know. Jesus is the Savior. So he, he's, he's seen this baby. He's called this baby the Savior. He's blessed Mary and Joseph. He's prophesied about the child. Appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel, sign to be spoken against, but he will reveal the hearts, the thoughts of, of many hearts. And then he looks Mary in the eye and says, and a sword shall pierce your soul. We might wonder what Mary made of this dark portent. The angel Gabriel had told Mary that she was highly favored of the Lord. But now the prophet Simeon tells her that a sword will pierce her soul. Well, we might as well know that to be holy and highly favored of the Lord is no exemption to suffering. Ah. To be holy and highly favored of the Lord is no exemption from suffering. In fact, more often, it's exactly the opposite that at some point we end up called into redemptive suffering. So when Perry and I are traveling in Spain and Portugal, as we love to do, because that's where we find our Camino, we often encounter in Catholic churches a statue of Our Lady of Sorrows. And this is a statuary depiction of Mary with a sword piercing her. Um, I, I found a, a fairly lovely one. A lot of them are quite maudlin, actually. They're kind of like mannequins with, you know, hair and a soul. It, it's just, it's not really my taste in religious art, but we'll let that go. But interestingly, more often than not, I mean, I, found, I just showed you one with, with a sword to kind of, so you relate to it. But it's almost always when I'm in Spain and I see these, it's almost married with seven swords. You think, I get the one sword, I get that. What's this business? Seven swords seems like a bit much. 
Well, this comes from the tradition of the seven sorrows of Mary. First sorrow being Simeon's prophecy. I mean, this is, I'm asking for a moment just to inhabit Mary's mind, as, as you might. Hear this, this, this is clearly a prophet. This is a prophet of the Lord. And the prophet of the Lord says, and the sword shall pierce your own soul. Right? The moment you hear that word, ah, there it is. Isn't isn't that right? When when someone gives you a word like that, her, her soul is pierced. And then a short time later, Herod, this maniac, this megalomaniac King Herod, assembles the death squad, sends them to Bethlehem in an attempt to kill this baby and they have to flee to Egypt. Sword, pierced. that's, imagine. Imagine the ruler of the country has sent out death squads to kill your baby and you have to run for your life. You have to flee to Egypt. A sword pierces her soul. And then there was the time when Jesus was 12 when she lost him. He went missing for three days in Jerusalem. Every mother here knows what that would be like. If one of your children was completely unaccounted for and just went missing in a big city for three days, a sword pierced her own soul. And then seeing him carry his cross, seeing him crucified, seeing him taken down from the cross, seeing him buried. Seven swords, seven sorrows. Well, whether we think of it as one sword or seven swords, there's no doubt Mary's soul was pierced with sorrow. And Mary is both the holy, unique Theotokos. I mean, no, no one else. I mean, God becomes flesh through one person. That's, this is the, the absolute uniqueness of Mary. On the one hand, she is the entirely unique Theotokos. On the other hand, Mary is a kind of universal archetype for all believers. Yes, yes, Mary in a unique way gives flesh to the Logos, gives flesh to the Word of God. But you understand that God wants your flesh to bring his world into the world, his word into the world. God wants to work through you. The Spirit of God wants to work through you to bring something of an enfleshment of his word into our world. And you say, well, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not up to that. I'm not, I'm not fit for that. I'm not qualified for that. And the, the answer will be the same to you as it was to Mary. No, 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 no. It's by the Holy Ghost. She says, I don't know a man. You don't need a man. The Holy Ghost is going to bring this word into the world. All right. You've, you, you sense your own limitations, but the answer is no. The Holy Spirit's going to work in your life to give enfleshment to some aspect of the Word of God in our world. Amen. All you need to say is, be it unto me according to your word. Be it. So this is how we see Mary as an archetype that we're to follow. Be it unto me according to your word. And Mary also reminds us that no matter how holy and highly favored we are, 
There's some people that I used to know that every time I ask them how you doing, they would always tell me, blessed and highly favored of the Lord. I get it. But as I got to know them, because I actually knew them and knew what was going on in their life, I knew that was a kind of dodge, a kind of desperate magical talisman to keep anything bad from ever happening to them. Mary, Mary reminds us that no matter how holy and highly favored of the Lord we are, we cannot escape being pierced by a sword of sorrow. This fate befalls us all. And we are called to bear it not with denial, but to bear it with trust and grace. Now in the book of Revelation, Mary is depicted, this is in Revelation chapter 12, as a pregnant woman clothed with the sun with a crown of seven stars upon her head and she gives birth to a child who is caught up to the throne of God and rules the nations. This is the depiction of Mary in Revelation 12. The opposite of the Virgin Mary in the book of Revelation is the great whore of Babylon. You can see this. This is the opposite. The great whore of Babylon shows up in Revelation 13, Revelation 17 especially, Judgment in Revelation 18. The opposite of the Virgin Mary in Revelation is the great whore of Babylon. And here, John the Revelator personifies the Roman Empire as a dr drunken prostitute riding the back of the beast and imperiously boasting, I sit as a queen, and I am no widow. I will never see sorrow. So th this is the picture. You have to, this is a drunken prostitute. She's, got, she's tipsy. She's drunk. She's haughty. She's riding the beast. And she says, I sit as a queen. I am no widow. I will never see sorrow. Well, this is the hubris and propaganda of empire placed by John the Revelator in the mouth of a drunken prostitute. This is, kind of, this is what empires say about themselves. We'll never see sorrow. That's for third world countries. The, the personification of empire in the whore of Babylon, she says, ah, sor a sorrow. That's, that's for losers. That's for the weak. That's for the poor. Not for me. I'm a queen. I'll never suffer loss. I'll never be a widow. I will never see sorrow. Contrast that with Mary. Mary, who actually is a queen, is a widow and one who sees much sorrow. It's not the whore of Babylon, but the Virgin Mary who shows us the way of the saints. We don't arrogantly deny the possibility of sorrow. Instead, we bear it with trust and grace. Dormition Abbey is a Benedictine monastery on Mount Zion in Jerusalem. It's there, it's been there since the uh, 5th century, the current building's newer, but 
the site has been venerated since the 5th century, traditionally as the site of the death or dormition sleep of Mary. And then in the crypt there in, in, in Dormition Abbey, there is a fresco that is one of my favorite images in religious art. I want us to see this. This is my own picture. I took this a few years ago. Yeah, I've been going to, to the Holy Land for nearly 30 years, but it wasn't until a few years ago that I found my way into the crypt of Dormition Abbey. There's just always something new to find there. It was, it was in 2020 is when we were there. So I saw this for the first time in 2020. I took this picture of this fresco. It's very theologically provocative. There's a lot going on here. What you see is Mary in repose upon her deathbed, surrounded by apostles. Because the site there in Jerusalem is the traditional site of her death. But then above Mary, you see Jesus looking down upon his dying mother. And he holds in his arms a small child wrapped in swaddling clothes. But if you keep looking at it, you go, wait a minute, wait a minute. It's the same face, they're the same person. It's Mary on her deathbed and Mary in the arms of Jesus. Wrapped in, is it swaddling clothes because she's being born? Grave clothes because she's died? It's, it's both. And what this is, is it is a very clever theological reversal of the very familiar image of virgin with child. You're used to seeing all these pictures of, of Mary holding Jesus. And now it's reversed. There was a time, Jesus has a mother. It's Mary. She gives birth to him. She nurses him. She feeds him. She cares for him. She holds him. But now, at Mary's death, it's reversed. And at her death, Jesus receives her, as he will you, into his presence. And grave clothes are turned into swaddling clothes because death is not the end. This world is but a womb and there is a world to come. And Jesus will be there to receive you into it. Woo! Isn't that good? Yeah, I mean, I don't know if that this fresco's ever got an applause, so somebody give this fresco a hand. This is awesome. I led a retreat for some Benedictine sisters, and I printed up a copy of these. These are Benedictine sisters, and this is a Benedictine mom. I asked them if they'd ever seen an image like that, and none of them said, I've never seen an image like that. I think it's fairly unique, but man, it's, it's got a lot of good theology in it. Jesus holding Mary in swaddling clothes because she's being born into eternal life. In this life, we will be pierced by swords of sorrow. But in the end, Jesus makes all things well. That's, what, that's, that's ultimate, I think. Put that, put that slide up one more time. Put that picture up one more time. That in this life, we'll be pierced with many swords of sorrow, but in the end, everything's going to be all right because Jesus will be there to make it all right. 
Amen and amen. Yeah, blessed be the name of the Lord. Stand with me. And now we're going to come to the table of the Lord and receive the gift of Christ as he offers us his flesh, his blood, in the form of bread and wine. Let's prepare our hearts, first of all, by confessing the the essentials, the basics of our Christian faith. Join with me. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Now join with me in confessing our sins. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed, by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name, amen. And God is gracious to all who confess their sins and in humility ask for mercy. In the name of Jesus Christ, your sins are forgiven. And this is the table, not of the church, but of the Lord. It is made ready for those who love him and for those who want to love him more. So come, you who have much faith and you who have little. You who have been here often and you who have not been here long. You who have tried to follow and you who have failed, come. Because it is the Lord who invites you. It is his will that those who want him should meet him here. The body of Christ broken for you. The blood of Christ shed for you. Amen. <laughs>